We're on a series at the moment called Religion Rehab. Religion Rehab. And uh, you don't want religion. You, you don't want, you want relationship with God. You don't want religion. So guys, you guys can take a break. You are fabulous. Absolutely fantastic. Take a load off. Chris Garcia, you're looking even more handsome tonight than normal. But, uh, uh, oh, you know what? I forgot to give you guys this scripture. I just realized. It's Mark 8.15. Mark. Oh, you got it? They got thumbs up. You guys are incredible. Mark 8.15. Mark 8.15 says this, Jesus speaking. He said, uh, he charged them saying, take heed. Now, how many people know when Jesus says, take heed, you want to take heed? Take heed, beware. Now, that's, that's like a double whammy. He's like, take heed and beware, which means be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I think in church we do a good job with the leaven of Herod. I think we, 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 we do a good job with, with worldliness. Pastor, worldliness is creeping into the church. I think, I think we do a good job with the leaven of Herod. The leaven of Herod. Uh, leaven is, is yeast, just in case you're wondering, what's leaven? Leaven is yeast. The Bible says the kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who takes leaven and she hid it in, in some, some dough, in some flour. And why'd she hide it? Well, she didn't. But when you, when you put it in, it, it, it gets lost. You can't see it anymore. But you can see the effects because uh, in the Middle East, unleavened bread is flat bread. Whereas when bread is leavened, it rises. That's why you put dough and it rises and then you, you slice it. And so, so Jesus says it, it may be invisible, but you'll see its effects. You'll see its results. Jesus here is saying, beware of the leaven of Herod, but also beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So I think we, we've, we've kind of spoken about, you know, world stuff. Well, right now we're on religion rehab. So I want to talk to you about the leaven of the Pharisees. Whether you realize it or not, the, the, the devil, if he can't get you out of the boat, once you're in the boat, he'll try and push you overboard. You need to understand that being a religious zealot is just as destructive as being unchurched. It's just as destructive. All right. Uh, let, let me just kind of help a little bit here. Um, uh, in the 21st century, we are trying to give Jesus a makeover. It, it, you know, I, I know it's the second commandment. That's why it is the second commandment. Because there's something about us humans that want to refashion God in the image we want him to be. The Bible says, thou shalt make no graven image. And so, but we, yeah, we hear you, God, but we're going to give you a makeover. So we love Jesus, tender shepherd. When my, all four of my kids, when they were little, the first prayer that they learned was we would put them to bed and we would teach them, Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Through the darkness be thou near me. Keep me safe till morning light. Amen. And we'd pray that prayer with them. That was the first prayer they learned. And we love Jesus, the tender shepherd. We love Jesus, the friend of everybody. We love Jesus, meek and mild. We love Jesus, kind Jesus. And Jesus is a tender shepherd if you're a sheep. He's a tender shepherd if you're a sheep. If you're a wolf, he's opening up a can. 
The scripture I wanted to read, but unfortunately we will not have the time, otherwise I won't get through my points, but I wanted to read Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, if you have been part of the making Jesus over into where he's just, you know, Jesus, he's everybody's friend, Jesus, you're going to have a hard, hard time reading Matthew 23. In fact, somebody the other day was kind of having a little bit of a go at us saying, you know, do, do you have to be so vocal politically? Do you have to name call them? Why are you, you know, and, and, and Leanne kind of said, yeah, no, I think you're right. Name calling isn't good. And, and then they do that on purpose so they can say, see both sides. But I had to, I had to correct my wife. It was one of those corrective moments. I said, baby, you need to understand name calling. No, I don't think there's any place for name call. I said, baby, Jesus name called. Lovely. Let that sit for a second. Jesus name called. Brood of vipers, name calling. Hypocrites, name calling. Whitewashed tombs, name calling. He said to the, to the Pharisees, he goes, you guys travel land and sea to make one proselyte. And when you do, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. You, you clean the outside of the dish, the outside of the bowl, the outside of the cup. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones, all kinds of wickedness, corruption, and extortion. First, first clean the inside, then deal with it. And he, he opens up a can. He opens up a can. Just in case you're wondering, tonight we're preaching about the Jesus of the Bible, not the one that's been refabricated. So, so very important, very important. This morning as I was preaching this message, and this is, this is why it might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, as I was preaching this message, a gentleman came forward, beautiful gentleman. And he says, Pastor, would you pray for me? And he, as I prayed, he began to weep. And God showed me that, that there was a religious spirit. Now, when we say religious spirit, it's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. You don't want a religious spirit. Because religion, like Drew would have told you, is all about replacement, faking it, substituting. It's not about real. And so he had, God showed me he had a religious spirit come through his mama's side, through grandmother, came in through Catholicism. And basically what a religious spirit was doing he believed everything the Bible said. He had no problem believing that God wants to bless you, that God wants to heal you, that God wants to... The problem is this voice in his head said, God will bless that person and that person, just not you. God will heal that person, that person, just not you. That you are disqualified. You are never good enough. You never amount to anything. That's what a religious spirit does. Because the word religion comes from religale, which means regulations regulations and so the, so 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 there's always regulations in between you and God religion says you can't come to God unless you a b c d e f G, unless you do this it wants to bind you it wants to choke the life out of you let me just explain in um, in 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 the old testament the old testament the first part of the bible God gave us the law. God gave us the Ten Commandments. The, the Pharisees were brilliant. They turned uh, uh, Ten Commandments into 613. Well done. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, but you had, to, you had to try and keep those. Obviously, we can't. So once a year, God says, all right, because you can't do it, once a year, bring a lamb. It's called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Uh, and so on, on Yom Kippur, you're going to bring a lamb. Day of Atonement, bring a lamb, and what I'm going to let you do is I'm going to let you lean on the lamb, and I'm going to let you confess your sins, and the lamb will be slain in your place, and all of your sin 
will be put on the lamb. And the innocence and the perfection of the lamb will be given back to you so that you can walk in my blessings. So this would happen every year. So the Israelites would come to the lamb. The lamb was sacrificed. After the sacrifice, literally, their sin was on the lamb. Any judgment was on the lamb. And now they were innocent and righteous before God. So they could enter into relationship with God. They could enter into the presence of God. They could enter into the blessing of God. Problem. Problem. The human heart. The depravity of our sinful state got to this point where we would live in our sin and then we would come, choose a lamb out of the flock, sacrifice the lamb, sin on the enjoy the blessings of God, but instead of entering in to relationship and the presence of God, we would turn our back at the sacrifice and go right back to our sin. So the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, Jesus speaking, and it's quoting Jesus, and it's Isaiah quoting Jesus. It's powerful. And so Jesus says, the blood of bulls and goats no longer satisfied. In offerings and sacrifice, you no longer had any delight. Therefore, I have come. Behold, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. A body you have given to me. I come to do your will, O God. And it's reading about Jesus, because watch how God solves this. Man would sin. He would come to the sacrifice. Sacrifice would be made to atone for his sin. Instead of entering into connection with God, he would turn his back and go right back to his sin. So he was just as separate as he was before the atonement. So watch what God does. God saw man's sin. God saw the sacrifice and as God was waiting with open arms for man to come he turns back and goes to his sin the problem so how does God fix it man will come to the sacrifice but he wouldn't come to God so God says if man won't come to me but they'll come to the sacrifice then I will become the sacrifice so now when man comes to the sacrifice he comes to me you are so loved by God. You are so loved by God that he went to the cross so that you can not find religion, but find relationship, find connection. Christianity is the only, it is the only belief system that says you, you can find God and have access with God. So here Jesus is speaking. So let me, let me talk about three things. Three areas where I believe that religion robs us. Three areas where religion robs us. If you're wondering where the origin of, of, of all this be, began, it began in Genesis, back, uh, Genesis 4, way back in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, it was the first two sons of Adam and Eve. The, the first two sons of Adam and Eve were Cain and Abel, twin boys. Cain was the older one. The Bible says that it came to pass in time that they both brought an offering to God. So Adam and Eve had raised these boys and they got to an age where, where literally Adam and Eve said, now it's, it's your time. It's, your, it's time now for you to build your own relationship with God. And the Bible says that Cain brought some of the, the fruit of the ground. He, he worked the soil. 
He was a tiller of the ground. He, he brought some of his fruit and vegetables and gave an offering to God. And the Bible says that God wasn't pleased with his offering. If you're a religious person already there, you're, you're, you're mad. You're upset. Why, why, why would God not accept his offering? God should be happy getting anything. You need to understand that God is not a low self-esteem God. Just in case you're wondering. God doesn't have a low self-esteem. He's not kind of walking around in heaven going, Gabriel, be honest, am I all right? He's not taking any medication. He's not on Prozac or anything like that. God actually, he, he, he knows he's all that. He, he knows. And, and just to help you, an offering is exactly that. It's an offer ring. It doesn't have to be accepted, which messes religious people up. Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. It's interesting because Genesis 3 says that God cursed the ground. But Cain is so arrogant, he says, my human effort, my works can nullify your curse and I can achieve right standing with you. I can bring an offering that is acceptable to God in my strength. And God says, no, you can't. Abel is different. Abel comes and the Bible says he brings a lamb from his flock and the lamb is sacrificed. And God accepts Abel and his offering, but not Cain. Cain instead of learning from his brother, gets ticked. He hates the fact that the blessing of God has fallen on Abel and not on him. So he gets mad. So God so graciously visits him and says, Cain, why are you mad? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Do what's right. But Cain says, I don't want to do what's right. It's easier for me to lure the one who is righteous, the one with blessing, the one who has right standing with God, it's easy for me to lure him into the field and smite him and kill him. Now God comes back and says, hey, Cain, where's Abel, your brother? And, you know, Cain responds, what? Am I my brother's keeper? It's about a nine on the tension scale there, Rube. Actually, you're meant to be your brother's keeper. The words of a murderer, what? Am I my brother's keeper? You're actually meant to be, well, I'm just living for myself. The words of a murderer, uh, am I my brother's keeper? Translated, it's, you know, I'm living my own truth. In, in today's vernacular, you know, I'm just being true to myself, Oprah. Anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, already, I'm already not popular. Okay, let me, let me just dig down a little bit deeper. Let me go a little bit deeper. God says, God says to him, your, blood, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground, cries to me from the earth. It's crying, justice, justice. Therefore, the ground now, it was already cursed. It is now going to be even more difficult for the ground to yield to you its increase. Cain goes, my judgment's too great for me to bear. No repentance. Just angry at the, and so he goes, he goes out. Cain, the spirit of Cain is alive and well today. And, it, and it, it tries to lie to you that you can through human effort 
please God. You can, if you just dance the right dance, if you sing the right song, if you keep the commandments, if you try hard enough, if you fast, if you do enough things. The truth is none of us can because Abel, his, his word comes from two Hebrew root words, ab and el. Ab, A-B, is father and el is God. And so Father God was showing prophetically through Cain and Abel that the sons of Cain would murder Father God because the Father God would be we brought forth to bring our righteousness through the sacrifice of an innocent lamb. Jesus was the lamb sacrificed, and he was God the Father making that sacrifice, knowing that a world would yell out, crucify him. Why? He has done nothing wrong. He has done nothing worthy of death. So God, that's why Jesus says, I want you to beware of the leaven, not just of Herod, but I also want you to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Three things that the religious leaven of the Pharisees does. Number one, it rejects good things. It rejects good things. Have a look at this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1, it says this. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and to doctrines of demons. Now, how many people know right there, you don't want to be part of the deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons? Okay, so what are these doctrines of demons? Well, they speak lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Isn't that interesting? Forbidding to marry and abstinence. You would think that it's, 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 it's godliness, it's holiness. No, no, far be it from me that I should indulge in such carnal activities as marriage. No, I'm far too busy serving the Lord. No, no, I don't eat bacon. I have a No, I don't. I'd reject. When we when we first moved here, I had a I had a gentleman call our church, and and uh, he he was he was quite indignant. He was another pastor in town, and and he wanted to he basically wanted to you know uh, correct my terrible theology, especially around wine. And apparently one of our, our worship leaders was seen having a glass of wine and he said he could prove from the scriptures how one teaspoon of alcohol will send you to hell. Just one teaspoon. I'm like, wow, you know, and you believe that. And he's like, absolutely, pastor, I can show you one teaspoon of alcohol will send you to hell. I'm like, well, how do you equate the first miracle? He didn't turn water into wine. It was grape juice. I'm like, Wow. Grape juice, isn't that amazing? Jesus would never sanction such a thing. Alcohol is from the devil. It's the devil's brew, is what he said. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, writes to the Corinthian church, saying, listen, guys, when you get together for church and you're having communion, you're breaking bread, he says, some of you act like you haven't eaten. So you rush ahead and you eat all the bread. Others go ahead and drink till you're drunk. Eat at home, drink at home, at church, it's for fellowship reasons. And I'm thinking, how do they get drunk on grape juice? That's a heck of a lot of grape juice to go ahead and eat and get drunk. But anyway, never let, never let the Bible get in the way of warp theology. You, you know, go ahead. And so he was kind of piping off. And so marriage, forbidding to marry for foods, you know, Wine, all kinds of stuff. God created all these things. In fact, have a look at verse 4 and 5. Don't, don't take my word for it. It says, For everything that God created is good. 
and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. God does not have a problem with wine. He doesn't have a problem with beer. In fact, there's a place in the Bible called Beersheba. God, now, God doesn't have a problem, but if you have a problem, then you're wise. If something causes you to sin, Jesus says, cut it off. Just cut it off. If, 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 it, if you bring that into your heart and it rules over you, cut it off. Disconnect it. I got saved when I was 18 because my father was an alcoholic. When I got saved, no alcohol. I'd seen alcohol abused. I was becoming like my dad. So from 18 to 30, no alcohol. I was happy to be alcohol free until I joined C3. I end up at C3 Church in Oxford Falls, and I'll never forget, uh, Pastor Phil decided we're going to do discipleship groups, D groups, they call them, and they went from Pastor Phil all the way down, and, and so I was hoping to make it into the Super 12, you know, Pastor Phil's 12, and, uh, and then I found out on a memo, I didn't make the 12. I'm like, well, whose discipleship group am I in? Well, you're in one of the 12, Pastor Greg French, like, Phil's right, and so, so I thought this, I thought, man, you know what? Give me six months. I'm going to be in the top group. I'm going to be in Phil's group because I've got a, I've got a great brain. I've got like this photographic memory. And so I thought that, that you know, Bible study and, and discipleship group was just Bible trivia. And so, so eh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God breathing. You know, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking, right? So, so anyway, so, so D group comes up on a Wednesday night. And so we're walking. I've got my big study Bible under the arm and I'm ready for Bible trivia. I'm thinking, man, five more months and bam, I'm going to be in the top group. Bam, I'm going to be in Pastor Phil's group. Bam. And I look over and there's Jeff and Tracy Berry and Jeff's got two bottles of wine and she's got a meat platter with like salamis and cheeses and prosciutto. And, and I'm like, well, 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 I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, are you here for um, D group? I'm like, yeah i got a study Bible. Where's yours? I'm like, oh, yeah, come on in. I'm like, no, no, no. And then I look over here, and here's Scott and Sue Dawson. And they're walking up, and she's got two bottles of wine, and he's got this big, big tray with all kinds of uh, fruits on it, like, you know, strawberries and watermelon and cantaloupe. And, and, and I'm like, where are you guys going? They're like, oh, are you here for D group? I'm like, yeah, study Bible, D group, hello. So... We walk in and it's, you know, it's all this chatter and laughter. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I can understand a little bit of small talk before we get into Bible. I mean, you know, before we get into D group. Anyway, and then Greg French says, oh, welcome into our home. Jurgs, what's your poison, red or white? I said, oh, far be it from me, Greg. I will not be touching alcoholic beverages, not when we're going to be studying the word of God. He's like, no, no, come on, Jurgs, red or white? I said, oh, no, no, Greg, I'm, I'm a holy man. Leanne, the little scallywag, she goes, I'll have white. I'm like, ah, you're meant to be on my team. She gets and goes and sits down. I'm like, oh. So I'm fighting this thing. So I realized he wasn't going to let up. So all right, I'll have what she has. And I thought I just won't drink it. So I put it on the table. So then we're sitting down and I've got my Bible. I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on, Bible trivia. Come on, yeah, bring it, bring it on. Come on. So that's what I'm waiting for. So, so, then, so then he goes... He goes, Jeff, you know, when, when you and Tracy fight, you know, how do you, how do you resolve? I'm like, that's a, whoa, that's a load, it's an open-ended question. What's want to do discipleship slash Bible trivia? Don't ask. Oh, now they're answering it. Oh, you, and he goes, oh, so, you know, so prayer. I'm like, oh, don't go, 
Prayer's another can of worms. It's gonna, we've got to get to Bible. I've got to, I've got five months to get out of this into just, and then he says, Scott, what about? I'm like, don't ask, Scott, don't. And then he looks at Leanne, and no, don't. And Leanne's, I'm like, oh, dick, 40 minutes later. They're talking about some of the battles they go through in marriage, some of the struggles, some on finance, some on communication, and they're answering, and I'm now ticked. I'm, And then the Holy Ghost goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm waiting for Bible study. I'm waiting for discipleship to start. And he's like, it's happening around you. They're talking about life. Like he's helping them with life. I'm like, oh, I'm religious. Good things. I couldn't, I couldn't see good things. I was so busy being religious, I couldn't see. You know, I remember when I got saved, Drew, I started going to Bible college, and, uh, and they were telling me how we, we, had, we, we met these people, and they were picketing against Disney World. True story. They, they, they had picket signs. And, and, and they were saying that Disney World was from the devil because it incorporated the imagination and fantasy. And fantasy is from the devil. An imagination from the devil. The Bible saith, cast down vain imaginations. <laughs> and so, so, so literally what they're saying is, don't use your imagination. Don't, do not use imagination. Be as close-minded as us, and you'll go to heaven. Can I just tell you, God gave you. Now listen, absolutely. Can the devil hijack your imagination? Yes. Can, he, can you fantasize your way into destruction? Absolutely, yes. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered I don't have to let the devil get into the cockpit of my imagination and begin to start pushing buttons. I can make my imagination consecrated to God. When we came to San Diego, he gave me a vision of a baseball diamond. And he said, that's the church. I'm like, wow, we're going to be involved. You want me to play baseball? I don't get it. It's like, oh, myself. No, no, no. Um, He's like, one church, four locations. I'm like, I'd be happy for one church in one location. How are we going to do? Anyway, that was the vision. But it came in an imagination. God spoke to Solomon in a dream. In a dream, God speaks to Solomon and says, what would you like? Ask of anything. And Solomon says, my gosh. He says, I'm, I'm now the successor of my father, the king of Israel, the, the, the great king, King David. How am I going to walk in his footsteps? The, the, in front of me, tall order. God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom that I may ha- know how to govern these people and not ruin the legacy of my father and God in the dream says to him because you didn't ask for gold and riches and and fame and the life of your enemies but because you've asked for wisdom I'm going to give you all of those things the Bible says Solomon woke up and behold it was a dream was it a dream world you know the dream world is not real to believe in one's dreams is the first sign of insanity you must know this well the angel Gabriel told me where the fifth golden ticket is and what did he say? What does it matter? It was in a dream. It was a fantasy. Tell me now. Anyway, so that's from Willy Wonka, just in case. And we, we reject imagination. I remember coming into church and, and they, they were arguing over minor chords. Should the church play songs with minor? Because minor chords are from the devil. Not only minor chords, but the drums. Drums are from the devil. Electric guitars are from the devil. Amplification is from the devil. 
Rock music is from the devil. Pop music from the... Technology's from the devil. Fog machine, this from the devil. It's trying to manufacture the glory of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> religion, religion rejects good things. The Bible says these things are sanctified through the Word of God and prayer. Anyway, I've got to move. Number two, number two, religion, the spirit of religion devalues the person. Spirit of religion devalues the person. Listen to me. The spirit of religion always, always elevates the sin as greater than the sinner. It elevates judgment over justice and mercy. It has a problem. Right now, you need to understand that the, the world loves religion. It doesn't like Christianity or Judaism. But the world loves, like you, you can go on Oprah, any talk show and talk about God, talk about how, how you believe that you're God, how you've achieved a God consciousness, nirvana. The, the, because, the, the, because the spirit of religion is the spirit of, is the leaven of, of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, the two sides of the same coin. So the Bible teaches us that you and I are, uh, carry the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei is the image of God. It's the image of God. And so right now, the spirit of religion that, that devalues people, and I'll show you in a second, there's a debate going on and there's a war going on in America. It's the war of the womb, war of the womb, where I was watching a, a pro-abortion thing and they were saying that when we do abortion, the way that we remove the pregnancy tissue, a, a big, big, big pardon, Oh, the way that we re remove the pregnancy tissue. <laughs> pregnancy tissue. A little bit of renaming there. No, no, of course. Don't let biological facts get in the way. Just rename it. Biologic what, we're, what we're removing is pregnancy tissue. Oh, so it's not a human life. We believe that it's a human life that bears the Imago Dei. So they'll come up with stuff. Well, well, what if, what if the Imago Dei bearer, what if the mother was gang raped by a group of violent dwarves who were chanting satanic verses, drinking the blood of goats when she conceived? What, what about... What about then? How the baby got there is not the baby's fault. It wasn't the baby's choosing. I mean, how many people here chose their mum and dad? How many people, you know, got to have a lineup? Oh, I'll take those two. They look like they'd be nurturing. What's he do for a living? What? He's unemployed. No, thank you. Give me, you know. You didn't get to choose how you got here. But the, this world says, so, so, so in, John, in John chapter 9, in John chapter 9, the Bible says that a, that a woman is, is taken and she's thrown in at Jesus' feet. This became the muse for Hero the Rock musical. And they say, Rabbi, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Which is always quite interesting to me because the only act that you can't do by yourself is adultery. Like if they would have said, this woman was caught thieving. Well, she can do that by herself. This woman was caught 
killing. She can do that by herself. This woman was caught fashioning false idols. She could do that by herself. But adultery, I don't think so. You can't, because adultery means you're sleeping, you're having sex with somebody else's spouse. So, where is he? But watch this. The Pharisees had entrapped this girl. They were familiar with this girl, possibly a prostitute, definitely a very, very broken woman. Their goal wasn't really about justice. They'd been stringing her along. They were familiar with this woman. Their goal was to try and trap Jesus because they were trying to say she was caught in adultery in the very act, no evidence. And if Jesus gave permission to stone her, they were going to use it against Jesus. And so they throw her down at Jesus' feet. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. What sayest thou, teacher? Are you really of God? And I love what Jesus does. Jesus knows they didn't bring the man. He knows they didn't bring the man. So the Bible says that Jesus, his response was he just stooped down and began to write in the ground. Began to write in the dirt. Oh, what was he writing? Oh, wouldn't you like to know? None of your beeswax. We only, we can only theorize what he was writing. Some people say maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. As I was putting this message together, I felt the Holy Ghost say, very cheekily, by the way, he says, maybe Jesus was writing in order. All the men present amongst the Pharisees who had slept with this young lady. Oh, actually, hang on. No, no, it was him before you. (laughs) And then he says, whoever's without sin, go ahead. Stone away. And they're like, I just remembered I've got to get some bread and milk. (laughs) But to the Pharisees, to the Pharisees, she was... They didn't bring the man. Notice she was caught in adultery in the very act. Where where, where was the man? Because it was never about justice. It was all about, we we don't care about her. She's a sinner anyway. She deserves to die. Can I just tell you that the wages of sin is death. But to Jesus, sin is not greater than the sinner. How do I know that? Because he hung on a cross paying for our sin to purchase the sinner. When you purchase something, nobody purchased something where the purchase price is greater than the product. All right, if you don't believe that, I've got a $1 million car I'd like to sell you. It'll only cost you $1 million. Nobody purchases something where the product is greater than the price. Jesus on the cross was saying, I will pay for your sin because the life of the sinner is greater than the price of the sin. The problem with the spirit of religion is it, it, it devalues human life. When, 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 uh, 
I finished preaching in this place and this, this, this gentleman comes up, this gentleman comes up and he, and he prophesies and he says, one day you won't be preaching to youth anymore. You'll be preaching to real people, real people. Cause how many people know youth aren't real people? When, when we started our church, when we started our church, we had a, we had a gentleman who stopped going to his church because there was no life in it. But he couldn't, even though he'd left geographically, he couldn't leave theologically. And so whenever Leanne would get up to preach, he would turn his chair in protest with his back to the crowd. Sorry, with his back to to Jesus. Uh, Back to Jesus. Back to, sometimes I think, you know, back to Leanne (laughs) as Jesus was speaking through her. And uh, anyway, so... So I decided, you know, I'd try and have a coffee with him and find out. He says, well, the Bible says, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to return. I said, well, I want you to notice Paul says, I do not permit. He didn't say God does not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. But go ahead. Paul says also that a woman shouldn't have authority, shouldn't teach. If she wants to know anything, allows her to ask her husband at home. I said, all right. I said, let me just give you some context. That was Corinthians. Corinth is in Greece. Ephesus. These were two Greek nations. The Greeks elevated female deities. They believed that women were more powerful than men because a woman decides whether a man gets to have sex or not. Pretty jacked up, but let's keep going with your theology. So no wonder Paul says to Timothy, raised by his mother and grandmother, Timothy, I want you to, I need you to flip the coin in Ephesus where they worship female deities, where the women cry out and the you need to bring some order. So we need to do this. But I need you to understand when the angels said that Jesus is not here, he's risen from the dead. The first people commissioned to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ were women. God has no problem with women preaching, telling everybody about Jesus, but never let anyway. And so in this man's life, his marriage was a mess. As I began to scratch, not only was his marriage a mess, but his wife was on antidepressants, was on anxiety medications three times, had been institutionalized for trying to commit suicide. Because anytime they would argue, anytime there was an issue in the home, he would call the church and the elders would come down and censure her. How she, and so she didn't want to be married anymore. She didn't want to be a mother. She was on, because who can live under that? But listen, the Bible says, beware of false teachers, for you shall know them by their violation of things the Apostle Paul said in a different, no, sorry. It says, beware of false teachers. You'll know them by their fruit. You know them by their fruit. I'm telling you, if you don't like the fruit of my life, run leave this church find another church but be careful of deception deceiving spirits doctrines of demons that say oh we've, we're stitching up the, the bible correctly look beyond the words and look at the fruit jesus is a bad tree cannot bear good fruit neither can a good tree bear bad fruit a tree is known by its fruit in other words he's saying whatever theology and there's a lot of people preaching theology have a look at the fruit that that theology produces before you buy in can somebody say amen yeah. all right i gotta finish i gotta finish oh all right the last one the last one is that uh it curses blessings and blessings 
blesses the curse. It curses blessings and blesses the curse. Many years ago, uh, I got a, a Yelp review, and I, I, I kind of don't mind Yelp reviews. They, quite often, they can be quite nasty. And um, so someone was saying that they came to my church, and they're never coming back because I drive a BMW. I drive a BMW. I was so pumped. I, I, I got them to print it out because I, don't, I didn't drive a BMW. I drove a Volkswagen. But I got them to print it out, and so I went outside to my, my, my little Volkswagen. I said, I got a Yelp review. And my little Volkswagen, you know, just sitting there, you know, it's just faithful, just waiting, waiting till church is over and it's going to carry me home. I said, you're not going to believe what someone called you. It's like, well, what, what did someone call me? Somebody thought you were a BMW. Me? Thought you were a BMW. No, no, for real, it's, it's here. They thought you were a BMW. Man, I got in that car. It's like, I'm like, slow down. We're going to get a ticket. Like my little video. He was so pumped. I'm like, you got to slow. He's got his little chest out. BMW. I'm like, no, don't get cat. It was a Yelp review. I'm leaving that church. The pastor drives a BMW. We need pastors who are broke and stupid. That's who I'm going to give my money to. No, no, don't tithe. He's successful and smart. They came to San Diego 14 years ago, no nobody. Now they own four buildings and they lease two and they're going to buy another couple and they've got 160 acres that they're buying for their men's conference. Don't, don't give him any money. He don't know. Give it to someone broke and stupid. That makes sense, don't it? I'm religious. Did you notice? Kind of, you, you don't want a dumb pastor with money. You don't want a dumb pastor. Now, let me just dig a little bit deeper here. Sometimes people, and they, you know, I take it as a compliment. Oh, he's like Joel Osteen. They preach a prosperity gospel down there. I don't know a prosperity gospel. I do, do know the gospel and it's full of prosperity. See, Deuteronomy 28 says, if, if you keep the law, which we can't, but if we could, these are the blessings. Bless in the country, bless in the city, bless going in, bless going out, blessed be thy kneading bowl, blessed be thy farms, blessed be the fruit of thy womb, blessed be everything, bless overflow, blessing, you'll borrow to, to lend to many, but borrow from none. And then Deuteronomy 29, but these curses will come upon you if you violate my scripture, if you turn your back on me, cursing, I will curse you. You'll be cursed in the country, cursed in the city, you'll never have enough, you know, the, you know all kinds of stuff. And so you don't want to live in the cursing, you want to live in the blessing. So what we've done again, religious people will take the world's definition of rich, the world's definition of rich, rather than the biblical one. In the Bible, the word rich means to have sufficient resources to meet not only your needs, but also the needs of others. The de Bible definition of poverty or poor is to have insufficient resources to meet even your own needs so that you live in lack. So guess which one God wants to bring you into? In, in Matthew, Jesus uh, is, is in the middle of healing people. And John the Baptist, who's about to be beheaded, he knows he's got maybe days, possibly weeks left. He knows that his death is in, he's in prison. So he sends two of his disciples. He's got to know, I'm about to meet God. I want to know, did I fulfill my assignment? So he sends two disciples to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, they say, uh, Lord, um, John sent us asking this question, are you the coming one or do we look for another? 
the Bible says that at that time Jesus was healing the sick and casting out demons. And he says, go and tell John the things you hear and the things you see. The blind receive their sight. The deaf hear. Lepers are cleansed. The dead are raised back to life. The cripple are made whole. And the poor are given welfare. I mean, the poor... And the poor have the gospel preached to them. If you let the world interpret the Bible right now, ah, oh, man, he ripped the poor off. He doesn't care about the poor. Why wouldn't he give them money? Why wouldn't he give them a winning lottery ticket? To the blind, he gave sight. What, what did the blind need? The blind needed sight. To the deaf, he gave hearing. What do they need? They needed hearing. To the lepers, he gave cleansing. What do they, they needed cleansing? To the cripple, he made them whole. What do they need? They needed to be made whole. To the dead, he gave them life. To the poor, he gave the gospel. Jesus did not rip the poor off. Jesus is trying to tell us that poverty before is a condition of your hand, is a condition of your mind. The greatest liberator from poverty over the last 2,000 years is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere the gospel has gone, it has brought societal transformation. The gospel transform. Now listen, this is why, this is why. This is why the spirit of the religion and the spirit of the world hates the gospel, resists the gospel, wants to take it out of our universities, take it out of our colleges, take it out of our schools, because there is an agenda by men that want you to be dependent upon human government. And when you get saved, when you get born again, you bypass the system. You opt out of the system because you can now walk under the blessing of heaven. And guess what? They hate it because they can't tax heaven. God says, bring the tithe and see if I'm not throw open the windows of heaven. They can tax the earth, but they can't tax the windows of heaven. You no longer become dependent upon man. You become dependent upon God. And the, the Antichrist and the spirit of, of humanism hates the gospel because it liberates everywhere. You know, a friend of mine recently preached for a man that you would know if I mentioned his name. Very vocal Calvinist. Preaches against Joel Osteen and probably churches like ours. What's interesting, she said, was he drives a Prius to church. And I'm trying to judge Drew. He drives a Prius to church, but his church, his house is 42 miles from the church. He drives a Prius to church. His house, she said, quite a nice house. In his garage was a car, she said, secondhand. It's worth $350,000. I don't know whether he bought it new or secondhand, but secondhand, that car is worth $350,000. He drives one car to church on Sunday, but the other six days he drives that car. He has two lives, two faces, two facades. One, he drives this car to church on Sunday because it's in line with the poverty gospel. And while people struggle and people live in lack, they love him and accept him because look at him, he drives a Prius, but he's a hypocrite because he drives a fancy car the other six days of the week. I just made a decision. I made a decision. I'm not going to apologize for the blessing of God who makes one rich and adds no sorrow with it. Because let me tell you, if I can't 
capture from the Scripture the blessing of God, how can I help you? If I can't walk in the favour of God, how can I help you? If I can't teach you how to get out of poverty and get to a place where you can be blessed to be a blessing, how can you? My job is to not just preach theory, but to model practice. You want to go to a church like that? You know, I, I said it before, and I'm not saying it to be braggadocious. But when we sat with our accountant last year, we've given almost, it's just under now, just under $1.1 million in 14 years. This is a kid that when I left engineering to go to Bible college, my father said, you will not get one cent, not one cent of support. And true to his word, he has not given one cent of support. And when my mother passed away, my father called me asking for money. It's his wife. It's his responsibility. He calls me asking, can we go halves in the burial? in the burial plot and all of those things. And even though it was his responsibility, I said, absolutely, Dad, how much do you need? I'll write you a check. The the person that my dad disowned, when a kid goes off to college, he needs his mum and dad's support the most. That's where my dad abandoned me. But God picked me up. If you would have told me at Bible college that one day I'd give over a million dollars, I would have said, you got rocks in your head. How does all of this happen? It happened because I begin to live the Word of God. We began to tithe. We began to give offerings over. And we just found our world kept getting larger and larger and larger. But a religious spirit tries to curse what God has called blessing. And it'll try and bless what God calls as a curse. You don't want to live under that. You don't want to live in that. Get rid of the, the spirit of religion. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe that, that thing dominates your mind. Maybe it says, oh, God can bless this one, but not you. You're disqualified. You're not going to break that thing off. In a moment, I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up. And if you need prayer, don't carry, it, don't carry that thing one day longer. The spirit of religion says that the sin is greater than the sinner. Jesus says, I'll pay for the sin because the sinner is far more valuable than the sin. The sinner is far more valuable than the sin. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.